Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Sometimes people say to me that they they cannot believe that the information that is shared on the Property Voice podcast and the blog is free, which of course it is. The fact of the matter though is that we all get to grow and develop as a result of some of the fantastic guests and also the subject matter that we get to trawl through together each and every week. And it's an absolute pleasure, in fact, to be in a position to do this, and and I get a lot out of it too. And today is no exception, as I'm joined on the show by the founder of Totem Finance, Piragash Sivanasan, who has a wealth of knowledge about development finance, I can tell you. From a structured asset finance career in the city, Piragash aims to bring large corporate finance know-how to the everyday property developer. So put your feet up, sit back and relax and have a listen to someone that really knows how to get your development finance project funding approved. After all, he used to be the man that used to say yes, or sometimes no, I'm sure, when he worked for RBS and Lloyds in the past. Let's have a listen to my discussion with Biragash now then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Hi again, everybody. It's uh, Richard again, obviously, and uh, I'm joined today by Piragash. And uh, Piragash, hi, first of all, just uh, let everyone know you're there. Hi, everyone. Good to, good to have you join us. And uh, I won't say, but well, I will say, actually, because you've given up some time over a weekend. So I really want to appreciate that and, and acknowledge that uh, in advance. But um, so thanks for giving up some time at the weekend to do this recording for us. The, um, we're in the middle of this series on uh, financing in property. We're going to talk about a wide array of different financing solutions we already have done. And uh, Piragash, you're going to talk to us today about uh, development finance. And um, perhaps what would be useful, what I normally ask a, a guest such as yourself uh, coming to join me on the show is, why don't you just give us a, a bit of a, a brief uh, introduction into yourself, really, and your background, and why, why this is perhaps good, a, good for, a good specialist uh, topic for you to be talking about today. Great, thank you. Um, so my background is really kind of corporate investment banking. Um, so I've spent the last 15 years doing structured asset finance. Um, so I've been working in different banks, uh, Lloyd's, uh, and then latterly RBS. Uh, I've worked in the credit department, so really underwriting some of, and really making decisions when uh, your listeners are really making uh, requests for finance. I've been involved in restructuring which I think is critical for any banker because you really understand why when things go wrong, they're set up as they are. Um, and also on the front line in terms of actually kind of structuring deals. So for most of my career, it's been involved in, in an asset that's had some element of construction. Sometimes it's property. Sometimes it can be things like a, an oil rig, for example. And then that's then transferred into a mortgageable asset where a bank will, will put a mortgage and lend against it. But ultimately that asset produces an income. And I set up uh, Totem Finance uh, about 15 months ago, and the real reason was to kind of give um, a level of expertise that we would normally give into a, a FTSE company to the SME, small-time property investor and developer. Excellent. 
Well, um, it's funny, actually, I, I had some time in asset financing, perhaps in slightly different context, but I was looking at more equipment related financing. So uh, interesting that we've uh, had that type of background. But um, yeah, I think it, it's fascinating, the whole um, financing piece, development financing piece. So why don't you just sort of kick us off a little bit and just explain what, what actually is development finance and where does it fit into the overall financing landscape for property investors and developers? Sure. Um, I, I, I guess that at its most basic, uh, development finance is where you are taking, in, in the context of property, of course, you're taking your asset and you're fundamentally changing, you're developing it. So I'm not talking about uh, a brand new kitchen um, and perhaps some new walls. Uh, I'm talking about something where perhaps you're making structural changes to the overall design or you're extending or really when we talk about development finance, it's often your ground up developments or perhaps more latterly uh, and quite popular is the um, commercial to residential conversions. So really something where when you buy an asset worth, let's just say for example, for the sake of £100, you're really spending probably in excess of £40 to alter the makeup of, of the asset. A traditional lender, um, so for example, your high street, uh, let's just say, for example, your buy-to-let lender, maybe Midshires or Aldermore, sure, but necessarily, wouldn't necessarily want to be seen to be financing or holding uh, a 25-year loan while you're completely changing the makeup of the asset. And that's where development finance comes in. Um, to, to break it down, um, let's just say uh, normal development finance kind of spreads between land, so normally you might have some land, and then you might get some planning on it. Then you might have construction period, and then finally your sale period. Your typical development finance um, offering encapsulates that last two pieces of the puzzle. So not so much land purchase, not so much planning, but the construction and the sale um, components of, of, of the financing. Okay. So... Um so would you have to do something else to acquire the land part then? Um, again, there's, there's no, um, it's always a yes and no. If, if, for example, you bought some land with planning, then you wouldn't necessarily have to do that. You can purchase uh, the land and construct as part of the development finance loan. But if it's just, for example, you decided to buy some grazing land, for example, the chance of planning is 50-50 or 40-60, it's unlikely that a, a development lender would actually want to lend on that piece until you get full planning. Yeah. And it's also one of the reasons why you've got an industry that's called planning game, where you take a, a piece of land, you add planning, and often the value of the land shoots up. But when we talk about the different ways of financing, and um, rain, feel free to rein me in, Richard, if I'm not. Um, <laughs> no problem, yeah. In a straight yeah. line. But um, one of the areas is... Um, people who ha don't have much funds can buy a piece of land speculatively. Um, the type of lending you probably get on spe to speculative piece of, um, of land is maybe 50% loan to value, occasionally a little bit more. Um, but when you get planning on that land, especially if it's high density um, planning, so by that I mean several houses or several flats, the value of the land will, will really shoot up. And that extra equity that you would have created, so for example, you bought the land for 100, and now as a result of getting the planning, it's worth 200. When you now go and get development finance on it, you will be able to talk about 
the equity that you're bringing to the deal, the skin in the game that yeah. the banks always like to look at as the planning that you've created, so that extra 100, that will then form the basis, and then ultimately you would look to get debt funding on on the 100 that you haven't put in, plus whatever the uh, construction costs are thereafter. Yeah, so I kind of was driving at, you know, how, uh, you know, maybe you could, we, we could answer this in a, in a different way or explore it in a different way because development finance is a component part, perhaps, isn't it, of, uh, of an overall mixture or basket of different financing that you could look at, depending, obviously, development finance is specifically targeted, as you say, with heavy spend uh, in changing a uh, property or land from its current, uh, you know, situation or current use into something else. So, you know, typically buy to let light refurbishment is 15% spend or less. Um, That's right. That's but, but you'd have a heavy refurbishment type of uh, concept and that might be up to around about 25%, 30 probably tops. And then yeah. development finance, if you're going to be spending quite a substantial amount of money, as you suggest, 40% or more. So, you can see how it fits in. And that's what I was going to ask you, really. Where does development finance sort of fit in generally from a, from a uh, you know, more from an, an industry perspective? Where does it fit into the overall landscape? And how does it work? Yes, and how does it work is probably, probably a better question. Okay. So, um, I mean, where it fits in is, as you say, when you've got to spend something more than 40%. And... And the thing about it is your typical lender, when they look at a piece of, uh, at a property, if you're massively altering it and they are providing a buy-to-let loan on it, um, they're uncomfortable providing a term loan on something that's drastically changing because actually for the margin they get, they need to be certain that there is an income flow. And of course, once you're drastically changing an asset, chances are they, will, they won't be income flow. And that also then starts to hint at, at where development finance is. Development finance and developments generally are actually pretty risky. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when you buy a, um, a buy-to-let property, generally speaking, the asset is ha habitable um, and straight away tenantable. But of course, once you're drastically altering a property or building something from the ground up, there are a multitude of things that could go wrong. And a development lender is there to truly understand all the risks and to manage that, to believe in your experience in order to be able to execute a, a building, um, and then to be able to, to then provide you lending on that basis. Now, um, actually, development finance, the way to, uh, to kind of look at it is to almost work backwards. So... For example, when you put a bridging loan on something, you would look at the loan-to-value um, that you can get from the bank um, to work out how much equity you've got to put in. Uh, similarly, with a buy-to-let, uh, you might look at the income flow, but you would look at, say, 65 75 85% loan-to-value. Well, on a development loan, it works kind of backwards to that. So you might start with what's called your loan-to-GDV. GDV means gross development value, i.e., what is the value of your completed product? So it may be, for example, one million. And a lender may be able to lend, say, for example, 60% loan to GDV, which basically means they're willing to lend you up to 600,000 of that one million. It gives them plenty of profit. Effectively, that's the margin. So your costs or your GDV, your costs could go up or your GDV could go down but it kind of present, prevents, uh, presents a, a buffer for the lender. Now, from there, they would deduct the 
uh, sale costs and also the construction costs that they would lend you and typically they like to lend you 100% construction costs and I'll come on to why in a minute. And finally, they would then um, add back the interest that they will be charging you because the other thing about development funding is that, and, and, and something that's critical, absolutely critical when you're looking at development financing, is you've got to approach what I like to call a turnkey funding solution. That means that once you start uh, constructing, you know that you have got all the funds to finish the project. Yeah. In development funding, there are no prizes for coming up 100 or 200k short because um, a site which isn't finished and which isn't fully funded is going to be a huge, huge problem. And it could result, and that's where some of the real big issues turned up in kind of 2008. So um, just to go, just to reiterate, loan to GDV, um, your construction costs, your interest costs, your fees, professional fees, all of these costs are covered. And then, of course, whatever is left typically is then provided towards the loan. So sometimes people can get very hung up on what is my day one loan to value? What is, how much am I going to be able to get against this property that I'm developing or this, this commercial unit or, for example, this land? And actually, the way to look at it is to work backwards. So what is the end product? And then work out how much is left to put towards the land because often that is the biggest risk for a development lender because, um, and this is why often development finance lenders quite like the idea of uh, an individual bringing the asset or the land and then providing 100% development funding. And the reason is, is that the security of the land is considered, generally speaking, to be static. So it, it provides the most certain type of security. So if you own a land that's worth 500,000 with full planning, it's always going to generally be worth 500,000. You can then, if the lender was to not provide you anything for the land, and for every one pound they then give you to loan, technically you are then going to start construction and create an extra 1.25 or 1.35 or 1.4 of value. So for every pound that they put in, value is constantly being created. So their security cover is nicely being managed and the overall security package, which is how they look at it. Of course, things can go drastically uh, wrong at times and, 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 and that's when really um, understanding the, uh, the document uh, and your loan agreement is really important. Does that kind of answer your question, Richard? It does a lot, yeah. I mean, I guess the surprising thing is more that people tend to look at uh, GDV, percentage of GDV, um, in, the, in the way you just explained that. But I, I understood that major development funders would probably look at all of your costs and, and advance against that and maybe section out the, the land or build, existing land and building cost and then your construction cost fees and interest as separate items. Uh, and lend a percentage against that, but I guess it, you know it'll, they'll still have an eye on the GDV, won't they? But the reason I yeah, ask, so the reason I ask that question, sorry, is that if the, if the project doesn't get completed, of course the GDV doesn't get realised. Um, yes, of course. So, so um, I guess what I should say, as as the first instance, when they are um, working out what kind of overall loan should be made available, they will look. Um, at the kind of loan to GDV piece. The second thing they will look at is kind of the loan to cost. So 
although they're willing to lend a certain amount of, uh, of the potential profit, they also want to make sure that you have some skin in the game. Yeah. And this is where, for example, if you bring just the land, then obviously there's a, there's a quite a big element of the cost that you're putting up. But sometimes the land can be very, very cheap, and the cost of the building, um, for example, up north, you may get a very cheap piece of land, but a huge site, and actually all of the cost is, is, is certainly in the construction. And as you say, um, in order to manage their risk, what they will do is they will shed, they will draw down funds, those funds are conceptually agreed based on the loan to GDV, but then they will draw down funds based on a schedule of works to ensure that A, that you're using those funds efficiently and in the way in which your project plan intended, so that they can step in if there are any issues. Um, and sometimes you'll get lenders which will step in very positively and work with you, and sometimes you'll get lenders who will push you quite hard and, and turn off the taps. Um, but ultimately, yeah, as a percentage of, of costs that you've incurred, they will then refund you that that money that you've spent. Yeah, exactly. So they're not necessarily just going to write you a check on day one. They're, <laughs> they're going to want to no. see milestones being hit and then releasing money on uh, pre pre planned drawdowns uh, as they go. But equally, they're going to play an active role in the, in the uh, in the project because they're going to be wanting to see the progress and, as you suggest, perhaps prodding you a little bit if you're behind schedule and maybe even um, just, as you said, turn off the taps. They could actually stop giving the money. So hence, the, there's a very different type of landscape here, isn't it, from a funder. The relationship is different. Their engagement, their activity level is very different as well to, compared to, say, bridging lenders and, uh, and, and buy-to-let lenders. That's the spectrum we're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, and what I suppose there's two things. Number one, um, you know, this is not one of those situations where you should allow your solicitor to be the sole reader of the loan agreements that are being put in front of you. You need to understand what drawdowns look like, what do you need to commit to, what do you need to be able to achieve in order to get new funds, what does the time frame look like. Understand all the commercial elements of your loan agreement because you will be testing it on a constant basis. This is not like a buy-to-let situation where you may never choose to, re I mean, to be honest, for all loan agreements you should read, but you may never test um, the, the various clauses, whereas you can be sure in a development loan you will constantly be testing the various clauses and, and you'll be utilizing funds on an ongoing basis. So it's really, really important that if you don't get it, to get your solicitor, to get your broker, in fact, to kind of sit down and talk you through all the commercial items, understand how you'll be getting funding so that there are no surprises because you know then that, you know, presumably you run a, a professional operation and you know what you need to get out of your builders, what you need to get out of your site team in order to be able to get the next stages, how you need to be able to interact with the bank's monitoring team um, so that they are quite happy um, to, to, to forward you more funding. But the bit I would also like to pick up on is sometimes um, there will be, uh, I've seen some people use bridging um, to do property development in the sense of almost constantly uh, revaluing the value of um, the property that's being redeveloped at different stages in order to get more funding. And I can, and I have only seen things go wrong in that instance because often there's a massive disconnect. There is a difference between valuing your overall building and the value of it versus um, actually valuing 
the costs that you've input into the development and understanding how the, the funds will then be released in order to meet your next stage. Mm. Because sometimes the value of the property won't have actually increased by very much despite the fact that you've spent a lot on it. Yeah. And uh, that's where development funding is really created for for this purpose, whereas um, in some instances people put on bridging products um, which are inappropriate um, for, for what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I mean, glad you said that because I, I always talk, and you, you might know, you wouldn't, I'm sure you wouldn't have heard, but um, I always talk about having the right financing solution for the right project. And so, um, you know, just recently, uh, this is totally, totally out of uh, context from this specific discussion, but just recently someone was talking to me about a, a, a flip project. It was a, it was a refurbishment and a flip, and they wanted to get a buy-to-let mortgage. And they're saying, well, well, I'm looking for a buy-to-let mortgage, but with no early redemption penalties because that's a cheaper solution than bridging. And I'm going, well, don't, that's not, this is wrong. It's inappropriate. First of all, the lender's not going to like that very much. Uh, and second of all, you know, there's a risk that you could get uh, blacklisted for buy-to-let lending because you're just using long-term funding for a short-term project. Um, you know, and, and we could have, we could go on about that type of conversation, but uh, people will do it. And of course, they have a, an attitude, which of course, I'll, if I pay 3% on a, a buy-to-let loan versus, you know, 10, 12% on a bridging loan, it's cheaper. But, you know, it, there are risks of doing that. And um, what, one of which I've just highlighted, the same is what you've just highlighted here in the difference between bridging lending and development finance. So um, I'm glad you brought that out. Maybe flipping the coin a little bit, um, and let's just talk about what, what is the opportunity, if you like, um, right now for, um, for property, property investors and developers. What sort of projects on a practical level would you say lend themselves? And what's, what are the hot topics, the, the, the sort of buzz? You already mentioned a couple, but it'd be great just to get a list and, and talk about what, uh, what type of projects are coming across your desk at the moment where development finance is being utilized. Um, I guess... Um I mean, there's, there's numerous things, really. I mean, as a general rule, um, I don't think people should necessarily let the finance rule their strategies. Mm -hmm. So if your understanding is kind of, you know, having a, a strong buy-to-let portfolio, maybe um, right now um, it's all about understanding service accommodation or HMOs. Um, you know, development uh, and construction generally um, will involves a certain level of skill and experience um, that often you will bring into your team via your builder or your QS or your architect. But it's also not something that um, I think people should, should play at. I mean, it's absolutely critical that people are a master of the various, or bring in people that are masters of the various tasks that need to be done. Having said that, um, there is there is absolutely, um, you know, I do not need to be telling your listeners that we have a housing shortage. I do not need to be telling your uh, listeners that, um, you know, construction, development, uh, planning games uh, present um, some quite um, big opportunities for profit. Um, but they're also very different from investments because actually we are talking then about a trading business yeah. rather than one that is um, a passive investment. Now, the thing about a trading business that I find really interesting um, and something that people in property are, as I see it, only just started to, to get on board with is, is really the brand, is that when you are a trading business, um, often your value of your business is 
is in excess of its net asset value. What I mean by that is it, it's worth more than your raw bricks and mortar. So, for example, there you would pay probably um, less of a premium to a Barrett Homes development than, say, something by the Candy Brothers. Um, ultimately, the bricks and mortar is probably not that different. Um, the, the end result is more in the, the marketing, the execution, um, and the value that it's perceived that you're, that you're providing. And that, I think, starts to get really interesting and really exciting in terms of what you can build um, genuinely um, that you can then leverage off both in terms of funding perspective but also in terms of um, income generation and, and ultimately a, a sale of business. So um, talking about things that you know that are very much live at the moment, um, clearly the PD rules mean that people can get involved in development um, that are very much conversions. Now on one hand it's pretty good because you can buy a building. Uh, often you can perhaps buy a building uh, an office on bridging um, while you decide what you need to do it do do with it you can maybe add some planning to it or you can just convert as is um, there is a different sort of regulation in terms of uh, the building regulations that's required versus a ground up development it can be more accessible but there are risks you know sometimes when uh, experienced developers that I know when they look at conversion projects their contingencies are normally a lot higher um, sort of in the 15%, if not 20% bracket, because sometimes you can unearth something that um, could, is just not seen where, uh, in terms of the building. Whereas uh, on a ground-up development, once you've got past the foundations, it, it, sh it should be fairly easy to kind of build because there's less issues that you're, that you're dealing with. Um, but the really exciting thing from a finance perspective, and I have to apologize to, to some of the listeners now, this is when I'm going to get a bit geeky, but is that um, it's accepted in kind of development finance that you will have tranches of different forms of funding. And what that really means is you can start to use more of other people's money, i.e. less of your own. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's accepted is that, um, you know, in London, for example, if you're going to do a, a decent-sized development, you are probably in the, you know, three to five million in terms of site purchase, and then, you know, three million plus in terms of construction costs. Now, um, up until recently, um, the banks uh, would offer quite a high leverage, something we've called stretch senior. But since Brexit, that's paired away a little bit. And so what this really means is that if people can imagine um, a rectangle, and that rectangle represented 100% of the funding that you needed for a project. Now, for the first time, um, if this if this rectangle was buy to let, you would be looking at a split of 65 to 35 percent, for example, between the debt that a bank would give and the 35 percent of equity that you would put in, and and that would be it. But actually, in a development piece, we can put more layers, and the reason is twofold. One, there's more profit to play with, which means that you can give more costs of financing because the more complex you get, the more costly it's going to be, both in terms of legal costs and also fees and just complexities. Mm -hmm. But now, for example, you might take a senior senior debt bank uh, who will give you 50% of what you need um, of that triangle, and then you may get um, a, a mezzanine bank to provide, say, 25%. Then you may get um, a preference. So in terms of your equity, you may take out some preference shares um, 
preferred equity for say 10%. Then you might get a JV partner. So this is the so a preferred equity is the guy who uh, will make you, maybe take a loan uh, and receive a flat 12%. Your JV partner may put in another 10% um, for a profit share. And finally, the sponsor equity will be provided by you. And that element um, is effectively massively reduced because of the fact that you can kind of split out uh, the various forms of funding. And as a general rule, the lower end you are in that triangle, the less risk you're taking because you're naturally secured by the primary type of security. And the further up you are, the less chance you've got of, um, of getting your money back if things go wrong, but you tend to get a bigger reward. And just that concept is what I find uh, really interesting about development finance. And actually, it, it's, it's how a lot of the more sophisticated developers operate and how they're able to do a lot bigger deals and of course with size comes more profit yeah i mean I, I, it'd be great and i can see why uh, maybe having um, pictures and that sort of thing can, can help here and i might talk to you about about how we could maybe do that later on um in the yeah. conversation but i i got a i had a I started with a triangle uh, sorry i started with a rectangle ended with a triangle but i got the same picture that essentially you build blocks don't you you've got debt then yeah. you uh, other types of uh, debt going on top and and equity partners and the, the bottom line is that the top slice which which is whatever it's the bottom it's the top of the triangle or the the right hand side of the rectangle could be as little as what five to fifteen percent of um sponsor equity as you called it it can be absolutely i mean look, you know your broker will know who is the best person and yeah. who's the best lender who's comfortable with all those various different stages and generally speaking if you're a decent senior debt lender everybody else is subordinated and by that I mean they will be able to make no decisions until uh, uh, the debt bank is happy yeah. um, but ultimately what, why it's really important to understand is you may not be the sponsor equity in this case you know there may be listeners who are actually just investors yeah. and they may be approached by someone to do a development finance deal and actually understanding where you are uh, in, in that, tri in that uh, triangle or in that rectangle is really important when it comes to pricing because sometimes people will just say, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll accept 6% uh, return for the year or 10% because I'm secured uh, in some way, so I'm fairly relaxed. But actually not understanding that the bank below them that has more priority actually is maybe charging more. And, um, you know, it, it's it's then where the sophisticated investor will really understand where they sit and it's a good way for them to kind of benchmark how they should be pricing stuff um, when perhaps it's not their deal but they're just investing in a deal. Great. So you mentioned PD or per permitted development. Um, you know, so permitted development, for example, uh, turning an existing office block into uh, flats or apartments would be an example yeah. of that. And you know, as a, as a range now, the government is. Ex uh, I think they've made it permanent, haven't they? The permitted development yes. rights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because of what you said about housing shortage, so turning brownfield sites such as uh, you know abandoned office blocks or, or warehouses and this sort of thing into into living space would be an example um, at one end of the scale of, of potentially where development finance can come in. And of course, as you say, ground up development, so taking a plot of land and building uh, houses or, or apartment blocks, I guess, would be another example on a practical level. Um, they're, they're the two sort of main areas, are they, that you probably tend to see? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes, you know, you, you, you may look at someone who is, is purchasing a bigger commercial site 
um, that requires um, a little bit more in terms of actually getting involved with planning. But of course, you know, um, often, uh, you know, uh, many of us will, will want to do a development project but not necessarily have the funding to sit there uh, and land bank uh, effectively and wait for the planning to come in because planning can be very complicated. The, the, the reason why the bank, um, the government has really pushed this concept of, of PD is, it, is the idea is that is it just takes the whole planning equation out of the mix. Although, you know, I would, I would certainly urge people to ensure that they um, get the relevant certification to ensure that the development that they're proposing doesn't, does in fact sit under PD uh, rules because sometimes people get carried away with having PD um, and actually start wanting to do stuff that actually is probably outside of PD and it can it can then create issues in terms of building regulations etc so um, you know even if you believe yours uh, your site is going to be fitting under PD it's always good to either get that confirmation from a, a professional consultant or preferably more directly from the council okay good um, thank you. Uh, what I was going to say, we talked about a little bit about benefits. We, other people's money is certainly one of them um, that, that comes to mind. Um, and, and having a, a finance partner who understands what you're doing, I suppose, is another one. But uh, maybe we can pick up that. But really what I wanted to get into was how could a investor or developer, more likely a developer, get themselves ready for raising finance with uh, a development finance uh, provider? Because I guess there's some key things they need to do or to be able to demonstrate at least? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, generally when it comes to development finance, we try and look at the three Ps. So um, that is the person, the project, and the place. So the person, you know, uh, a person or people, um, and when I say this, if you don't feel you have one of these things, then you can always JV with somebody to bring that uh, relevant experience or background. Mm -hmm. Does this person, does the person, does the company have the ability to kind of execute on what they're proposing? You know, have if, if for example, we're talking about a 20-unit development ground up, have they done anything like this before? If the answer is no and they haven't, that's the sort of thing that's going to start to worry a bank in terms of presentation. Um, you can bridge that by bringing in um, a builder or developer that's certainly done those sorts of things before. The second thing is, to what degree does the personal individual have the ability to get more funding if things go wrong? Something that's been really, um, something that we've probably not seen over the last few years because actually since 2008 the market's always gone up, is that when a project goes wrong and it requires more funds, generally um, a bank will support putting more money in because actually while we've all been standing still building stuff or digging into the ground, um, the GDV, the end sales unit, has actually gone up. But actually, for the first time, we're in a situation where actually it may stay the same or go down. Mm. So the ability for the bank to maybe put more funds in is um, is is more difficult. So understanding um, the wealth behind the group of people is important, but also your access to more funds. So this is where, if you're a more sophisticated company and you've raised funds uh, via the crowd or you've raised funds uh, by public markets or you or you have a group of investors that are always ready to, to invest in your company, um, it, it provides a uh, an opportunity for you to say that there will always be money to, to put in if something goes wrong. Um, some lenders look at kind of roughly 20% of loan or 20% of GDV being available in kind of um, net assets in terms of personal guarantees. So they're the sorts of things we look at in terms of the person. 
you know, what sort of experience do they have and what kind of background do they have. Then it comes to the project. And this is where really I would encourage your listeners, if you're going to do a development, to really be a master of your development appraisal and all of the different components. So you start with your site. What is your site worth? What, um, what sort of planning is required or not? Um, what kind of acquisition costs? Um, do you understand the, the concept of you know, how much stamps you've got to pay, how much professional fees you're putting in? Are these professional fees capped? Um, is there a risk of this going over? Um, in terms of the site itself, yes, you, you, we're going to purchase it, but there's probably reports. You're going to need to do environmental reports, flood reports, all sorts of things to, to ensure that you can start um, building on this. Um, are you aware of all the costs, all the knock-on effects if those things don't come in as expected? The construction itself, what kind of costs per square foot are you doing? What kind of contingencies do you have? Also, what is the Section 106 SIL payments? Have you thought about uh, all of these things, you know, in terms of um, do you have a minimum? Does your project work without it? Are you going to fight it? Uh, all of these things are important. Professional fees, you know, who are you going to be employing on the, on the site? Apart from your main contractor, your structural engineer, your QSs, etc., um, and then finally your GDV, the end, pro uh, uh, the end product. How confident are you? How, what sort of comparable analysis have you done? Have you gone out to two sets of state agencies uh, so that you've got a not only done your own analysis, but you've also gone to an independent party? Perhaps you've gone to the extent of having a Wix Red Book survey uh, done on the end product that the bank could use. You know, all of these things. Um, you know, once you start to present, and we always encourage um, when we put our deals forward for development financing, that we work with um, our borrowers to make sure that we put a really nice pack that contains all this information, so that when when the lender looks at it, you you come across as as someone incredibly professional and, and ready to, um, you know, uh, do your do your first project. And the, and then the place, I guess, is the actual location. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I forgot. The that's okay. And then the place, yeah. <laughs> and then the place absolutely, it's, it's, it's all about the location. You know, um, for example, you may be building it uh, in an area that's due to have huge regeneration. Bring that out. Talk about the, the, the availability of people that can, that can buy your product. If you're building six million pound townhouses in an area that uh, typically uh, only has working class people who can afford houses at sort of 400, 500,000, then there's a mismatch, you know, understanding the area that you're building into, the type, you know, the appetite for um, uh, also, you know, things like off-plan and overseas investors to come in and support some of the, uh, the marketing um, is, is all related. I mean, we all know there's a, there are a, a number of London and South-centric lenders, yeah. um, albeit that they are starting to, to change a little bit and, and starting to look up north. But it's really important to understand your patch. Are you looking at uh, an area that's a, a town city, or is it a complete suburb? Or you know, are you trying to create demand in an area that's really arable today? You know, these are all factors which the lender is going to consider when they look at uh, how appealing your uh, your appraisal and your project is. Yeah, and all this from a lender's perspective, through looking through their lens, is really answering their question is. Um, do these guys know what they're doing? Uh, and if it all goes wrong, are we likely to get any money back? You know, so, yeah. you know that that's the they're the key questions behind it. You know, because they're effectively advancing the funds, 
uh, as you say, there's a lot of risks, a lot of moving targets. So they need they need to understand that. So in other words, the developer pitching to them needs to demonstrate their capability, and it's very much a business case sort of presentation, isn't it? It's not it's not here's it a property, lend me some money against that. It's it's much deeper than that. It's um it's sort of a cradle to grave type of uh, uh, looking looking at the whole project as a business and then uh, evaluating it, scoping it, doing the research, presenting the numbers, having contingencies, having having the experience to uh, to know that you're not just plucking fingers out of uh, out of thin air that uh, you've actually done some analysis and as you say some third party reference points. And and you know what, there is a world of difference between the developer that understands this point um, and around marketing and you know I would urge anybody um, that when they do their projects, whether it's refurbs, you know, prior to getting onto the really big stuff, is is to take the pictures, is to have the video entries on YouTube, is to really create a great marketing portfolio that you can put in front of anyone because that is what um, that is, you know, we're all people at the end of the day, the, the underwriters, etc. they're all people. And when they see something that's slick, that is clearly truthful, uh, realistic, and, and has been given a lot of thought, you, it, you're making it so much easier um, to, to, to gain the funding. Yeah, I think that's absolutely critical. So it's like in uh, in anything like this, you need to showcase your uh, yourself uh, in the best way and demonstrate that to some pretty hard-nosed uh, financiers. Um, so it's a good, good piece of advice. I guess, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot of, you know, how to prepare yourself, uh, what are the potential projects, what are the potential benefits, but I guess we, should, we shouldn't let you off without saying what are the potential uh, downfalls or downsides from a developer's perspective, what, what can catch them out, what, what do they need to watch out for? Um, I think ultimately um, it's that um, when you do a development, there is a lot of hope capital in the project, um, and this is that you know, you're hoping to create something. And um, history is laden with people who are hoping to do something and were unable to do that. The consequences of not adhering to your uh, plan, to your development program, is something that needs to be considered very, very carefully. Because often, um, you know, when you have a buy-to-let loan, you can afford to put all your deposit sometimes into the project and hope it starts cash flowing. Um, in, a, in a construction project, there is no cash flow until the project is finished. And um, having your plan B, plan C, plan D is absolutely critical because um, you know, sometimes you, you may uh, get some development finance subject to planning. The planning may not come in. It may take a lot longer. It may eat into your profits. You may not have the deposit to even purchase the price per purchase the site, you know, when you're constructing, you may think that you've got a JCT contract. Guess what? A JCT contract does provide a fixed basis upon which you, you enact with your main contractor, but there are a whole load of um, items out there that he, can, he or she can actually um, pass on costs that aren't described in your contract. So understanding all of these things are critical because, again, Ultimately, um, if you've got 100 million and you're, and you're doing a, a 1 million pound project, chances are you're, you're always going to be fine. Um, but when you're in a project where um, you may need more cash, and I, and I was speaking to 
two very, very experienced people. And it is so rare that a project, I mean, so rare, like 0.005% a project um, actually uh, finishes exactly how it was planned. Now, you may end up actually to budget, but it, it, it bear no relevance to the actual uh, plan that you had uh, when you were actually starting the project. Yes, you use your best ideas, but all of these things mean that, that often you, you've got your own personal guarantee, which means you're putting your homes at risk when you're actually entering into this. And if things go drastically wrong, the bank can't just sit there and kind of say, well, um, you know, I know I'm really sorry that this hasn't worked out for you. We'll just sit here for a little while longer. Now, um, you know, that, that can sometimes be the biggest downside is that the reason why people want to do development is that the numbers are so attractive. But you need to understand your downside. You need to understand your downside for your various investors. You need to understand the downside for you. Because even, let's just say, if you don't lose any money, but your investors do, you can kiss goodbye to your investors ever coming back. You know, looking after your investors and making sure they don't lose any money is absolutely critical in this, in this business if you're going to be using investors going forward because you need them on project four, five, six, seven, not just on one and two. So, you know, there is a lot that can go wrong uh, in a project um, and to help you understand there is a, uh, a contractual agreement and actually running through the various things that can go wrong and, and having a plan B, C and D is so, so important to kind of making this work. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's really sage advice, to be quite honest with you. I think, um, you know, people, when they look at um, returns in property, uh, development, you know, is, is at the upper end uh, of the potential return curve, as it were. Uh, but equally, some of the risks are uh, the, some of the returns have to be high to to be able to cover some of the risks that you take. And uh, and they can disappear very quickly. Like you say, if, a, if, if, if planning's held up, it has to go to appeal. Um, you get a, a, a couple of units knocked out. You know, big chunks of profit can be carved out as a result of that. Um, you know, in, interest costs start accumulating. Um, yeah. There's all sorts of things. And as you quite rightly say, there's then this, um, I don't know what, it's just like a cascade. That's probably what it was in my head. There's this cascade yeah. of events that you don't get the money, extra drawdown that you're looking for. Then, um, you know, potentially the, the bank doesn't give any more funds. Then potentially they start calling in the, the personal guarantee. They'll probably take back the site and sell it. There may be further losses on disposal. Uh, other investors lose money, so your reputation gets tarnished. Uh, so you, you lose money, you lose reputation, uh, you certainly lost profit. So it, it can it can quickly go that way. And I don't want to sort of paint it in a very overly negative way. I kind of want to bring this out to say that whilst on the one hand this is attractive potential profits, you know there are potential you know significant risks as well, much much more. Uh, than there are with uh, you know vanilla buy to let you know in in terms of investing passive investing types of uh, channels. Fair fair point. Uh, absolutely. And the other thing I would add to that, um, I think you know you summed it really well. I, I think that the other thing I would add is that when you talk about um, there are a lot, there are profits to be had, um, but equally you know we we had got into a market certainly up to Brexit whereby um, you know once planning was on a site. Um, often the margin for the developer has been really squeezed. So everybody wants them to get into development and where, you know, you would normally expect a healthy 25% uh, profit margin, it was squeezed certainly in London uh, below 20% and then to 15%. And really this becomes a race, of race in terms of cost to finance. So if you're a cash buyer and you can uh, afford no interest costs, you can effectively afford to bid a lot higher for your land 
because it costs you less to actually build out. And this is where it's also really important for someone to understand, considering all the plan Bs and plan Cs, considering all the costs that could happen, you know, you need to be really sure about what a, um, when you bid for a piece of land or, or conversion project, you need to be able to understand for you what is the, the optimum uh, price at which you can bid. It doesn't matter if someone can bid higher, it's got nothing to do with, with what you can do because they may be a cash buyer, they may have, um, you know, there may be a multitude of different, they could be using other people's money um, and actually they're just taking a fee, it could be a, a builder that's building at cost um, and all of these other factors mean that every project will have a, an optimum price for you and you alone and you need to focus on that mm. um, and, and almost be uh, insular to whatever the is happening with the market which is why you know more and more especially if you're starting out uh, I encourage people to and I know it's not easy but to get to work on off-market deals because when you're starting out you need the time to really process the type of structure that you want to put on that on that land but also more importantly you need to be able to structure something that works for you and will work with the vendor and not something that necessarily in a market situation especially if it's a particularly nice site um, you, you, you know, those margins get bid out um, and it's a real, real, real problem. And actually that's why the people who have some money and have some sense will actually focus on the on some of the land planning um, because it's actually in the planning and, and changing land that you start to add value and therefore the projects that you bring investors will have naturally have more margin in and so naturally are more fundable as well because it's just so much more equity in there rather than something that you're trying to buy on market uh, with planning, it becomes incredibly competitive for someone that's perhaps inexperienced. Yep, I can see that you know very clearly. Um, been looking at a few potential projects recently, and uh, you, doing the exercise that you just describe, and what's it worth to me? And then you you suddenly find that uh, you know project is going for way above that price, and you know for very different reasons, but so uh, very competitive. Mm -hmm. And I think you summarised it really well. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I was going to ask you a question. In fact, we talked before we came on air about resources that you might have. And um, I think we said that maybe you wouldn't uh, necessarily have one. But I thought of one, <laughs> actually, while we've been talking. And, of course, is that you, you manage a, a Facebook group, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, oh, you mean major developments? Yes. Yes. So yeah. um, yes, I do. Should we, I mean, do you want to just share what that Facebook group is and what it's about? Sure, Major Developments um, is an open uh, Facebook group for people that are considering and would like to be and interested in learning about um, how to do developments. So we've got loads of different types of people in there, uh, from QSs to architects to um, uh, developers and builders, um, land people um, uh, and sources who will be able to help you on, uh, on your journey. Yeah, thank. I think that that's a useful resource for people to go and um, and and find and and have a look and and do some you know research before you know plowing into this. But I think sort of drawing some clo some conclusions uh, and drawing a close really a little bit. Um, what about you've you've shared so much and you clearly know your stuff. Um, just tell us a little bit about you know what you do on on a professional level and maybe how people could uh, connect with you and and you know pick up the conversation a little bit after the after they've heard this uh, this show how do they reach you and wh where do you work and what what sort of uh, service do you offer okay no, no th thanks very much Richard um, so totem finance you can find us on the web uh, www.totem.finance.com 
Um, we are on Facebook. Um, myself and my colleague uh, Craig Snyder, uh, who I believe you interviewed last week uh, on crowdfunding, are available um, and you know available to answer all your questions. The way we operate, so both of us, you know, we, we have a background uh, in kind of uh, property um, and structured asset finance, is we offer a, a free advisory service. So when you first look at your development or your bridging deal or your commercial deal that you want to look at, we, we really help you. We talk you through and, and, you know, as opposed to giving you something very generic in an e-book or something like that, I'd much rather sit down and try and understand uh, your background and, and how you are looking to execute on a particular project, um, whether it be bridging or whether it be development. And then we will start to source in terms of um, not only an info memo that represents you, but also the types of lenders that will best fit you. Um, crucially, I, th I think uh, in terms of our practice, we don't get paid until um, your loan draws down, which means we are really uh, a true partner. Um, and we are uh, vested uh, in ensuring that your product, uh, your uh, your loan goes ahead. We've got access to over 150 kind of development and bridging lenders, which should also give hope to people. You know, there, there, there should be a lender out there. You know, as long as your your project is, is profitable, you know, if experience is an issue or if money is an issue, there will always be an opportunity to kind of get your project funded. So I would encourage everyone to get in touch with us either by email, um, by our Facebook group. Um, or uh, directly on our website. Fantastic, you know, and you have given an awful lot of uh, very good information freely, and you know, I, I've I've certainly appreciated talking to you, and uh, you know, and for sharing with our listeners, you know, all that you have. So all of the, all of these all of these notes. Um, uh, contact notes is what I'm trying to say will be in the show notes so people can get hold of them obviously they can listen to the recording and there'll be a transcription done of this so um, I'm sure they can find you in one way yeah so um, is uh, just before maybe final wrap up was there anything that's kind of you know you you're just saying Richard why didn't you ask me this I really need to tell you this just before we close anything like that um, no, I think I think we've covered uh, you know everything really well I mean, you know I think the critical piece is uh, developments and development funding shouldn't really be entered into without, um, you know, professional advice, and, and that goes from your broker to your lawyer, you know, um, your conveyancing lawyer, a solicitor that you normally use on the way to that stuff may not necessarily be the right lawyer to work with you on the development stuff. Um, your architect, your uh, builder, all of these people um, plus the education that you choose to, to take up, whether it be on land planning, whether it be in, in terms of development or regulations, etc. This is all super, super important. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of important thing you should be doing, but I would absolutely say that this country needs to build. Um, and if you can find a way to, to build successfully and to really be able to scale up more from just one or two projects, but to three, four, five, six projects, not only are you going to be able to certainly mean that meet an ever-growing demand, um, but you're going to be able to create a brand which um, overreaches and, and, it, and goes beyond um, just the, the physical work that you're doing. Well, I think that's a great way of, uh, of drawing it to close, to be honest. Nice, positive. We do need lots more housing in one shape or form in this country, and that's why it is such a great opportunity. 
um, as you rightly say, doing it professionally and managing the downsides at the same time as we go. So I'd just like to say thank you. I really appreciate your time today, Piragash, and uh, I'm looking forward to um, hopefully maybe getting some more of those triangles or rectangles drawn out. Maybe if we could do some sort of uh, blog post for our, our, um, our sort of more readership audience rather than just the audio audience, if, you, if you'd be up for that at some point in the future, of course. Absolutely. Okay. Brilliant. Just not on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll give you your time back now. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. But uh, I'd probably better let you back to your family now. So thanks for joining us. I really appreciate that. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. And just as with Craig last time, Piragash is happy to give his time to walk through the different options and providers that operate in the major uh, development financing space. And uh, the Major Development uh, Group UK Facebook group is, uh, is linked in the show notes, as indeed are Piragash's contact details. But given the length and the detail of, of this week's episode, just a very quick wrap up from me this time. Uh, developments and conversions do represent a very great and significant opportunity right now in property. As uh, as Piragash said, we have a housing shortage after all, so demand is very high. However, running a development project is unlike many smaller scale or passive investment types of projects. And so you know, a business-like approach is very much uh, in order uh, to, to, to make a success of this. And to be frank, there's uh, there's lots uh, I could I could add, but in the interest of time, I'll merely signpost you towards Piragash instead today, and uh, he could be uh, he'll be more than pleased to talk to you, I'm sure. In property, we need to build a team of professionals around us that have specialist knowledge and contacts in the areas we wish to operate, and this includes finance partners, especially when we're talking about complex development funding projects, as I'm sure you gleaned as we listened to the show there and listened to my uh, discussion with Piragash. So um, I'm very pleased to have uh, Piragash's insights on the show today. So just mention the Property Voice pod- podcast uh, when you connect with him. That'll be great. But that's it for me again this week. Uh, by all means, do email me personally if you want to talk about anything at all from today's show or indeed anything more general in property investing. The contact again is podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. But of course, all of the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Now, though, all that remains to say is uh, thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.